Good morning, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Glad you guys are doing good. Most of you are doing good. That's awesome. The rain can make us feel a little weary sometimes. Uh, we wake up and we're kind of just getting out of the house and I don't know. It's just the rain. Some of us get very excited about the rain, right? Um, but for me, I, I'm kind of on the fence. I grew up with rain and I just really don't care for it too much. That's why I moved to California. No, I'm just kidding, but I love being here anyways. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for being here. If this is your first time here, uh, we just want to welcome you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, you've dropped into a middle of one of our series called The Verse After the Verse, uh, where we have uh, researched the, the top Googled scriptures in all of the world. And we've come across these handful of scriptures that we're going to talk about, where people have taken the verse, and what we want to do is we want to look around the verse. We want to look into context about what that verse is talking about. Today I'm going to be talking about Psalms uh, 23, but before I do that, I have a lot of good news. Um, before I start, uh, my name is Greg, and I lead the campus ministry, and uh, where are the campus students at? You guys here? Yeah. Woo! Come on, baby! Love the campus students. I love them so much. They're awesome. Uh, they teach me just as much as I'm able to teach and share with them, um, and I'm encouraged to be with them. We partner uh, with the Butlers, uh, Rhett and Martini Butler, and we partner with... Uh, uh, Joe and Sarah Eads, and we are together leading the campus ministry. I'm just so grateful to have our team there. Uh, we had a few baptisms last week. We had Matthew Pena get baptized. He's here today from Cal State Long Beach. Mr. Matthew, you go ahead and stand up, bro. You don't have to stand up. He's right there. And uh, just yesterday, and just yesterday, we had uh, one of our brothers, Oscar, get baptized. Where's Oscar at? He's over there. Okay. Oh, he's over here. Nice. Awesome. And uh, I'm just so encouraged by the campus ministry and all the things uh, that are going on the campus. We're learning together. Uh, and we're growing together. And that's what I love about that ministry. Uh, we're also, uh, if you're here at church today, uh, the one thing that's cool about our ministry here is that our ministry uh, is a part of an international movement. Okay. And uh, we have uh, a couple here that lead in the Hong Kong church, um, Aaron and Teresa Chow. They're here today with us. And um, so grateful for you guys to join us. And uh, we're so uh, encouraged by the work that you guys do in the Hong Kong church. And uh, they were uh, Charmaine's ministers out there. And uh, we love Charmaine. We love having her here in the campus. Uh, she's an incredible gift and a light uh, to be with us. But uh, anyways, uh, hopping into our sermon for today, Psalms 23. Okay, let's look at this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I love this verse, right? Uh, no doubt if you've gone to a funeral, you may have heard this verse, correct? Um, no doubt if you've uh, been at a funeral in, in this century, for sure, that's when it really became popular. Uh, but for me personally, this verse became popular through one of the most prolific poets of the 20th century. Okay, uh, Tupac Shakur made this made this verse extremely. As I walked through the valleys in the shadows of death, you know, for me, this verse became real popular through Tupac Shakur or even Gangster's Paradise, Coolio, uh, kind of talking about as I walked through the valleys in the shadows of death. I just love. Uh, this verse, that's where it really became popular to me. Uh, I know many of you may have been, may be able to, uh, relate with me on that. 
And, uh, you know, I just love, uh, I love music. I love art. I love how we're able to all take a verse and find comfort in it uh, some way and somehow. And, and oftentimes when this scripture is uh, is read, it's almost oftentimes is read from a, from a sense of chin up, like, like, look, as I walk through the valleys and the shadows of death, I will not fear. I'm not having anything to do with it. I'm walking through this valley and I will succeed. Okay? And uh, today I'm hoping to take that, that, that comfort that we get from this verse and drive it deeper. Okay? That's what I'm hoping uh, for today is that we're able to drive this verse deeper by looking into it. Amen? So let's go ahead. I hope you guys can join me with this. Um, I love church. This is the part where, where we come from different places and different times, different issues within our own lives, and we're intersecting within this room, and we're able to learn together um, and sit with each other and, uh, and love one another. Amen. So let's go ahead and uh, hop on into this. A psalm of David, a psalm of promise, and a psalm of praise. That's what this psalm really is all about. It's this idea of this great, gaining this great promise, this sense of buying into God. A psalm of praise and worship. Verse 1, it says, As a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. If you read this in your, in your Bible, it says, A psalm of David. Now, I believe uh, that David was probably one of the, the greatest theologians of his time. Because David didn't, he didn't just, he didn't just tell us who God was. He gave us insight into the very nature of God. He gave us insight into what God was like. And I love that about David. You see, David here, he was not the shepherd boy as we knew him. He was the king of Israel when he wrote this psalm. He was reflecting back on his days as a shepherd. And as he reflects back on his days as a shepherd and as he sits there being king over all, king of Israel, he is thinking, man, how great was it to be a shepherd? I mean, God is like a shepherd. And it's interesting that he would say this because instead of saying, God is my king, I shall not be in want. He's looking at this idea of, man, God, the perspective that he takes is that God is a shepherd. That God, is, he, he takes the time, he focuses on me. I am a part of God's um, thinking. God is thinking about me. He's caring for me. He, 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 is fo- he is focused and fastened on me. So the idea of a shepherd, him choosing the, the, the word is that he used here. It's so inspiring. To know that he sees God more as a shepherd. And he looks at the idea of a shepherd greater than the sense of he looking at it as a king. And the Lord is my shepherd. That word Lord easily translates into this word Yahweh, meaning the imminent God, the God who is there within our story, who walks with us. He's like Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. God, the one who walks with me, he shepherds my soul. He shepherds me. And I shall not want. I love this insight into the, the character of, of God. Because in today's culture, it is easy for us to want, right? It is very easy for us to want. And as a matter of fact, I think that this is probably one of my biggest struggles. Right now where I stand, my biggest struggle is that I can just want. I can want. I can get into this sense of lacking contentment. And I love how Jesus puts it in Luke chapter 10. 
when he sends out the 72 disciples into the world to evangelize and to, to help people and to share the gospel with people, share the good news with people. He takes away everything that we can lean on. Take away your purse, take away your bag, take away your, your cloak, your tunic, your sword, all these different things. And you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you somebody and I'm going to give you me. That's all you're going to have. So you're going to have each other and you're going to have me. That's it. Now go and preach the message. What? What about my Bible? Nope. I'm just kidding. I mean, we need our, we, would, we would love to use our Bibles, right? We need our Bibles. Um, but just this idea that this is something that David is contrasting in this psalm is uh, incredible. You know, I think contentment is something that's it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty difficult to understand the idea of contentment. You see, um, contentment is not having everything you want. It's wanting everything you have. It's not having everything you want. Oh, man, I just want this. I want this. It's really loving, adoring and taking care of and, and, and having a desire for everything that you have in your life right now. You see, even Paul says godliness, what contentment is great gain. And I love how God really organizes our life and constructs our life. I know for me, as a college student, I've always wanted and desired a family. I think for me personally, one of the hardest things, I was even talking to Ruben about this, one of the hardest things for me um, is to truly understand what does it mean to be family. I think growing up, my family was so disjointed. Um, and I, I love my mom. I love my dad. Um, they divorced when I was three. Um, but the idea of family was not something that I was very accustomed to. So I would be told, hey, Greg, you got to go build family in the campus ministry. And I would sit there and think, okay, the, okay, I, I kind of got an idea of that. I got a picture of that. I love how God, when he is shepherding us, he gives us that picture very plainly, very clearly. He helps us understand exactly what we're, what we're about as a family. Contentment is, is wanting everything you have. And I can tell you right now, I am a content man. I am absolutely content. I love my family. I love my wife. You see how beautiful my wife is? Dude, man, I'm fired up, man. You see my son right there? Look at that. I love that guy. Every morning, I, I get excited. I'll put everything else away. Even if I'm in the middle of writing a paper, I'm doing my master's program right now. If I'm in the middle of writing a paper and I'm on a roll and he rolls in there, I can't be at the house because I'm just too excited to be with him. I just love being around him. He's a bundle of joy. Every time I see him, I just feel, thank God. Thank God I have this. It's wanting everything you have. Maybe you're a college student. You're not here yet. Maybe you've never had this yet or this right here, but God is wanting you to feel exactly what I feel. God is wanting you to feel content. He wants to be your shepherd. Okay. In verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, David puts himself in the seat of a shepherd. I mean, the seat of a sheep. Right. I don't know about you, but I don't really like the idea of being called a sheep. I don't really like the idea. They're kind of smelly. You know, I mean, like you may think, oh, they're so cute, man. Things are smelly. Any type of cat, anything that lives outside, it's probably smelly. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty slow. They have like um, one sixth of the brain 
that of a human. Their brain is pretty small. Um, they, they, I, I watched a bunch of videos last night, and I was just watching kind of like videos about sheep and what they do. They have a tendency to, to pick fights with bigger, bigger opponents. Um, you would see them fighting camels. I don't know. They're in Israel, so I, fighting camels. All right. They're out there fighting camels. The camel just said, what are you doing? And picked it up and started doing this to it. I'm like, what was he thinking? I mean, like, he couldn't have won that. The camel's like six times bigger than him. They fight bulls and cows when they're out there. They got to be in their own little sheep pen. They, they are known to be fairly stupid, to say the least. Um, if, a, if a sheep gets startled, it can lead the rest of the sheep in one direction and off of a cliff. There have been accounts of sheep Droves of sheep just falling off cliffs, one after the other, because they don't really think. They just kind of follow, right? I actually have a story about a similar scenario when I was in high school. Uh, you ever get, your parents ever tell you, man, if, if Charlie over there, if they, if they jumped off of a bridge, would you jump off of a bridge? You'd be like, well, obviously, I wouldn't jump off of a bridge. But because you're saying this, I'm going to say, well, if it ain't that high... Be smart, Alec, right? Anyway, that's not what happened. As I'm walking, I'm in high school, and I'm going to track practice. I'm getting all my lunch together, and the bell rings, so everybody's leaving. Everybody's leaving to go to class. I'm going to the track to go start my practice. As I'm getting ready to go and start my practice, I'm hitting the corner. As I hit the corner, about six people are, without saying anything, they're frantically running in one direction, full speed. They're not jogging like this. like They're like, gone. And I'm like, what, what? And I'm gone too with, I just start, I bolt. And we're just running. I'm like, what, what, what? We're jumping over stuff. We're getting, I've joined in. And then not only did I join in, but about 10 or 15 others join in. And we're all just running across the campus. No one stopped. We were just running. We get to a place where we could all rest. And I'm like, guys, what are we running from? I don't know. I thought we were running from, what, what are we running from? I don't know. What are you running from? Wait a second. Does anybody know what we're running from? Yeah, I was running from a bee. What? <laughs> right? Sheep are the very, they're, they're the same way. They are, uh, they're pretty dumb. Um, they can oftentimes move themselves so much and become restless, uh, anxious, um, they, they, they would stay in one place and eat, and even if they're eating dirt, they will stay and eat dirt um, without someone kind of helping and guide, guiding them. Uh, they would kill the plants that they're eating so, so far down into the dirt, pull up the roots where it wouldn't grow back. Um, they're not intelligent beings. And so for David to put us into the same category or for us to want to relate to this psalm and put ourselves in that same category, it's pretty difficult. So wait, why can't... God be the king, and we be like shepherds, right? Because doesn't the king provide for the shepherd? No, but I I want you to really see the heart of God. You see, we are not like God in any way. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts. Our ways are not like his ways. You see, God is completely different in how he does everything, right? God, when he thinks of things, when he thinks of stuff, He understands that we are not where we are and where he is, and yet he still meets us where we are. No matter where you are today, no matter how you came to that door, 
God is always willing to meet you exactly where you are. No matter if you feel like, man, I am scum of the earth. I have done the most terrible of all things. God is saying, look, I will still meet you exactly where you are today. Because my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. I am a loving father. I, I tend to my sheep. I'm tender with them and I love them. So that idea that uh, in Isaiah 53, where it talks about we are all like sheep and have gone astray. And we have turned everyone into their own ways. This idea that man like sheep, we're, we've all gone astray. No matter where we sit in this room, we have all gone astray. And yet David, knowing that he has gone astray in his life, he loves the idea that God makes him. God makes me lie down in green pastures. There's some there's a comfort there because we tire ourselves out. Right. We go day in, day out. We grind. We go to work. We wake up. We, we deal with our kids. Uh, we're out there. Some of us are making dinner. We're, we're doing this. We're inviting people over to our house. We're, we're, you know, sharing scriptures with people. We love people. We're trying to help everybody out. And then all of a sudden you start feeling like, OK, all right, man, Whew. time out, guys. Time out. Hold on. Can I get, can I get a breather? I start feeling burnt out. I started get, I start getting hangry. You start feeling stuff towards people, but you're trying to serve and love God and everything. And God yet is trying to make you lie down. God is trying to shepherd your soul. He's trying to shepherd shepherd your heart. And David is alluding to the fact that, hey, look, God has made me lie down. In his old age, he's looking at it and he's like, he makes me lie down. He knows what's best for me, even when I don't know what's best for myself. He leads me beside quiet waters. I get this image like this right here. My God, he's just, come on, I got you guys. Lay down in the grass. I got some water for you. I'll, I will provide for you. I will take care of you, my little sheep. I was going to put a picture of a very, very, very ugly sheep and say that some of us, we would rather go this route than be this route. We would rather run ourselves ragged, break our own legs, run off of cliffs and do all these different things and fall to the bottom of the pit and be like, God, help me. But God says, no, no, no. Before you do all that, I'm going to make you lie down. Before you run yourself to the point of no return, I'm going to make you lie down. You just got to trust me. There needs to be a trust there. That's what this passage here is really alluding to, is that there is a trust here. There's a trust that needs to take place between you and God. There's a submission that needs to take place to say, you know what? I am like a sheep. And we don't have to keep venturing into how dumb they are. We like sheep, though. I mean, for me personally... I can do some very dumb things. In my marriage, I've been married for five years. I have probably done something dumb, like dumb, sheep dumb, <laughs> every single week. Just like, oh, why'd I do that? That was, not, that was not good. That was pretty bad. And yet God, he provides for us a sense of relief if we submit to him and we give our hearts to him, 
says that David was a man like he, he was a man after God's own heart. He was given this because he pursued God on many levels. Right. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I love how the author here, how this is translated, it's restores. It's, it's like taking one thing and, and bringing it to a completely different reality. You see, this is how God treats us. We go in and we can kind of just be ran ragged. We can even sometimes feel like, you know what, I am beyond repair. No one can help me. No one can love me. I'm unlovable. No one can take care of me. No one can understand me. No one gets me. The process of restoring something like this, it's incredible. You have to remove pieces and replace pieces. And that's what God does for our souls. God, he wants to restore your soul, right? He wants to restore you. So he'll remove some things. He'll take some things out. He'll buff some things out. He'll even add new pieces so you can be restored. So you can find comfort in him. How many of us just need, we need God's comfort. We just need to be comforted. Whenever I hold my son, I love holding him. I love like kind of getting him like this and just playing with him and whatnot. Um, but I can just think, I, I look on his face and I see how comforted he is. And I'm like, this is how God is with me. God just wants to pick me up. And he wants to just comfort me. And it's kind of an odd image to think that me being like, you know, picked up. I'm like all of like six, you know, like 200 pounds is being lifted and played with. That's why I use the younger sheep. You can just think back to the days when you did not have a lot of things on your heart or on your mind or on your plate. How easy life might have been. And God, he's like, I want to restore that in you. Where does it start? Well, you got to be content in me. You got to know that that want part, you got to want me. Because I want to restore you. I want to guide your paths. Many of us, we get so, we like rams. We're just kind of like, I don't want to be guided. No. I would rather be in the valley in the shadow of death, fearing no evil, standing up against everything. And that's kind of the, 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 the lens in which we want to view this passage. And yet this passage is about comfort, trust, praise to God. This passage is not about you. It's not about how you are so awesome and how you can deny your fear and you won't give in and how you can walk through the darkest of all valleys. That's not what this passage is about. But if you listen to mainstream media, you listen to the mainstream of life, if you listen to the people around you, oftentimes they're going to lead you to, you can do this, pull yourself up, you got this, you got this, you can do this. You, you can. And there's a sense of, well, what about just relying on God. That's an eerie feeling. It's kind of, I mean, the, 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 the idea of contentment in itself, when we even look and think about contentment, nobody wants to be content, right? I don't want to be content. I can't be content with where I'm at. I got to keep going further. I got to go farther. I got to go faster. I got to pick myself up. I can't stop. 
I'm in a race. Come on, let's go. Guy's like, hold on, come on over here. I want to make you lie down right here in green pastures. Some of us, we don't even see that God is lying us down in green pastures because his ways are not our ways. Some of us don't even see that the water is steel. We kind of ignore the fact that we're in a green pasture and the water is steel. And yet God is here. He's saying, I want to restore your soul. I want to, I want to bring you back. I want to help you get to a different reality. I, I really admire this about God and his heart towards us. Because many of us, we do not deserve it, right? I don't know anyone in my life that has ever deserved the restoration of God. And yet God says, no, you do deserve it. Because I'm your father. God is so benevolent. He's far benevolent, more benevolent than any person you've ever met. But the hard thing is, is that we believe that each other, that we can see benevolence in each other greater than we can see benevolence in God. And see, God is trying to take you and bring you back someplace. And that's really what this is all about. You coming to church every day. You may come to church and you may, for six weeks, just not even tune into the lesson at all. You may, for a month, just come in and come out. But then there's a point where if you give your heart to it, man, you just, there's a breakthrough that takes place. Right? There's something that, that just happens on a soul level that we don't really quite understand. And even though we didn't tune into what was going on, God was tuning into us and he was providing a safe place for us so that we can go back out into the world, right? So this idea of being restored by God, you know, I think this passage is a passage of encouragement. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I truly believe that the way that you, 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 you funnel scripture through your life and, and the way that you perceive passage and the lens that you take, it affects your outlook on the world. So if you remove the rest of the passage and you just focus on this part, you are always in a continual sense of a valley and shadow and death. Who wants to be there? Why are you proud of being there? Right? As I walk through the valley and the shadows of death. Man, this is, no, we are in 2018. Don't you understand that it, it is when you, when you wander away and you are in the valley that God, he comes and provides that comfort, that it is God who enters the story and changes the surrounding, that it is God who guides you, that it is God himself that, go, that kneels down and he's like, I- I'm with you. It is only at that point that you feel that you can walk through this valley alone. It is only at that point that you feel that way. A lot of times, the way we view scripture, we take it and we say, well, you know what? Even though I walk through the valley, I don't fear anything. God, he helps me not fear a thing. Yeah, but there, there's more to it than that. And if we keep trying, if we, if we tell the world that this is exactly how you come to be without fear... And we don't help them understand that there's a submission process, process, there's a contentment process, that there's all these things that come before that. There's an accepting and there's a trust process of God, that there is a praise and worship aspect of this. People walk away and they say, well, you know what? God is with me, so I'm just going to blow it up. 
I got this. The world, move away. I got this. And this is that idea of having a form of godliness that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. He says that form of godliness yet denying its power. That we walk around and we sense, man, you know what? I'm just extremely godly. I got this. And God is saying, no, I want you to, to be restored. I want to bring you back into a different, a different reality. Psalms 23, verse 4. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 6. Like the other part of that. Oh, there it goes, right there. Verse 4, the rest of that. We don't really look at this part. This is never in any of those rap songs that, I listen, that I've listened to. <laughs> For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No, it doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Not at all, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me while I'm in the valley in the shadow of death. God brings his staff and his rod, and he's whipping them out, and he's like, come on over here, I got you. Right? We forget this part of the passage. And isn't it just like a father to discipline his son? Doesn't it talk about in Hebrews chapter 12 how it talks about a father disciplines his sons because they're legitimate sons and because he loves them? You see, when we wander away and we're going off into this other different place and we're thinking that we got everything and we're done and we're taking care of stuff and, man, I'm a boss, I got this, you're a boss, you got this. Isn't it just like a father to say, no, nah, you don't got this. <laughs> Come on over here. I've, I've probably have had to give, like, discipline my son as he's gotten older more frequent than when he was younger. And that should say something to us. I mean, the older he, he gets, the more frequent the discipline gets. I think, I think some of us, the older we get, the more discipline we need. Be gentle. Well, let the rod and the staff, I don't know who, I mean, let the rod and the staff comfort you. This idea that God is saying, look, a a herdsman, what he would do is that he would steer his sheep and he would guide them with rods and staffs. You ever seen the hook on it and how he would go, whoop, come over here. You've seen those hooks. You've probably seen them on Apollo, the Apollo, that show where the clown comes out grab the hook and bring him off stage or whatever. God, he is that same way with us. He's like, look, I want to, before you go over there, come over here. I got you. Well, I got to get you too. And the cool thing about God is that God can shepherd all of us. He doesn't just shepherd one little person, two people, 300 of us, a thousand of us. He's not overwhelmed with us. That's why I think, I think David used the context of a shepherd and not a king because he's not delegating the task of shepherding. He himself is the one that's repairing you. And if he has to, shepherds have often been known to break the legs of their sheep so they don't wander away because they know that if they wander away, they'll die. There was a saying in our, in our fellowship a while back, you've got to pray for broken bones. And I think sometimes we kind of we shy away from the discipline that we can receive from God. We shy away from it. We think of it, you know what, I don't know. I think you guys should just, I don't know, love God. We'll love you. We're good. But God is like, no, man, I, I want to help you out. I want to give you something that you probably aren't too used to getting. 
That's a little bit of discipline. I mean, how many of us have parents that still spank us at 28? We need God. We need the pow-pow occasionally. And it comes from the Lord, right? And I love the fact that it does come from God. It doesn't have to come from people. I love that fact because he, he does it exactly how we need it to be done, right? He does it as hard or as soft, as gentle, as loving, as many times as we need it. He knows exactly where we are. You may not feel comfortable with it. I don't think anyone has in any time, in any situation, has felt comfortable with the pow-pow. That's the whole point of it. A little spanking, right? It won't kill you. It'll bring you closer to God. All right? All right, so verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is his final reality. This is where David lands in this psalm. I love this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of God forever. You see, after you come out of the valley and you come to this reality, I'm going to be with God. This is where you can find your contentment. This is where you find yourself at the edge of the story, looking around and saying, you know what? I am good where I'm at. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. If you think about that idea that better is a thousand, uh, one day in God's courts and a thousand elsewhere. I mean, many of us, we, we, we can't connect to that. I, I even talked to my colleagues about this. It, it, it's, it's hard. There's a reality in being a minister. There's a reality in, 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 in shepherding a flock of people. As a minister, you know that even as you may tell someone something, you may help try to help somebody out with some wisdom or you try to give them a word of advice, you know that they still might go their own separate direction. You know that they might just, you know, tune you out and go a different direction and do what they want to do. We all know this. And that's the one harsh thing about being a minister is that I know that sometimes i got to watch people come all the way down so they can realize that all you really need is God. And it's hard to come to that reality to know that all you need is God. All you ever need is God. We have so many different things bombarding us and telling us what to do, what to buy, where to go, and how to travel. We go on vacation. We finally saved up. We spend our money on vacation. We go on vacation. Awesome vacation. I love being here. You come back from vacation. What do you feel as you're unpacking? I need to go back on vacation. I mean, that's like every vacation. You try to fight it. That was a good vacation, man. That was some, some good food. Yeah. Wish I could go back on vacation. You see, this right here is, is what your soul desires. It desires to be at rest with God. And sometimes we are so um, against or so uh, we, we try to refute the punishment or the discipline or uh, God making us. All, we, we try to refute that so often and so much that we don't see that God is trying to strip away all these different things so you can see that all you need is him. It's hard to see someone having to get taken down rung after rung after rung. As you're praying for them, you're praying for recovery, and God keeps taking them down. Then we get to a place, 
And, you do, and they get to that spot, and then when they're finally at, at rock bottom, when they're finally in the valley in the shadows of death, when they're finally there, they look around and they see God. And the first thing that comes to their heart and their mind is, it is good for me to be here with God. And as they, keep t- as they build their life up, as God gives them what they need to keep building their life, it's then and only then do we realize that, man, you know what? I don't need all this stuff. All I need is God. In closing here, I want to bring it to John 14, verse 1. Bring this down to Jesus. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. This is right before he is about to go to the cross. And it reads, in John 14, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Anybody got some troubled hearts today? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. You see, God God is like, look, David understood that God, being in the house of God is like where you want to be. Dwelling in the house of God is where you want to be. Jesus comes back and he puts a facet on that promise. He's like, look, I am preparing a place for you. If it were not so, you would not know. I would not have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And after this, I mean, you got everybody just asking him question after question after question. And yet Jesus is like, look, you know the way to the place of where I'm going. You see, if you're here and you're feeling like, man, I don't really know where I'm at with God. I don't really even understand this whole thing with God. It's hard for me to believe that God has prepared a place for me. It's hard for me to believe that, that Jesus came and he rose to death. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of, of a master's program and I'm, I'm like reading so much theology. I'm reading so like it's heavy. And I can tell you that from the very beginning, since Jesus died on the cross to the very end till this, till this week, there are people that have been writing arguments and conclusions of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't understand it, I can tell you right now, most of us don't understand the spiritual realm. Most of us don't get it. But what we do know is that we have a promise from God that we trust in, that we put our faith in, and that we rely on. That he will guide us back to to the, to the still waters, and he will give us a place to dwell forever. And so right now, we're going to actually partake in communion together. And as we're taking communion, I want you to close your eyes and think about a green pasture and still waters. Think about what that would look like for you in your own context. And then ask yourself, what do you need to do to allow God 
to do this in your life, to bring you to this place. Amen.